This is our interview with Harrison Hines from Fleek. Please enjoy. podcast a couple of days ago and then realized that we hadn't really introduced ourselves to <laughs> the person we were speaking to. So we really had no idea kind of who we are. So I'll start. My name's Jean. I'm um, kind of working with Tom and Alex. I'm potentially their new COO, CIO. So looking after investments as well as just operations so that the guys can do what they're good at, which is memes and smart contracts. And what else can I tell you about me that's interesting? I suppose that's kind of it, really. <laughs> I love my work is definitely my vice. And yeah, Kieran is probably uh, Australia, definitely Australia's, but maybe one of the world's leading educational technologists. So he is responsible for what we call here the school on a blockchain or the Bitcoin school because it's received a lot of donations from wealthy Bitcoiners. And uh, we're really interested in IPFS. That's, I think, how we connected through another podcast, actually. Molly was talking on the Zero Knowledge podcast about her work and education. So Kieran and I kind of got connected. So the podcast is really non-tribal. I would say the audience, we're trying to make it in with as little jargon as possible. So just explaining to people, like, what is the problem that product or workaround solves and how does IPFS kind of work into that. So it's really, it's, it's about use cases. And obviously Fleek has come up again and again. Um, I know the guys at Flex are huge fans. I think definitely you have the same kind of aesthetic, I would say, as <laughs> the Flex guys. So yeah, that's, that's basically us. So I think we would generally start on the podcast with an introduction. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about yourself and how you got into this space and and how the idea or the genesis of, of Fleek and, and what Fleek is. Sure. Um, so I'm Harrison, uh, co-founder and CEO uh, at Fleek. Um, so by background, uh, I'm from New York, kind of always done the entrepreneur and a little bit on the VC side of the table uh, throughout my career. Um, prior to Fleek, I started a company in the space that was called Token Foundry. Um, and so that's what brought me into the Web3 space. I had a background uh, with crowdfunding. And so when I saw Ethereum and the initial kind of use case of token sales, uh, I just uh, was attracted to that. And that's kind of what brought me in. So uh, I launched uh, token Foundry. I uh, took funding from Consensus and launched it out of Consensus. Uh, did that for about uh, almost two years, um, and then uh, decided uh, to start Fleek. Um, and so, initially, uh, Fleek was actually called Terminal, and. The idea and initial vision was to like going through that experience of building Token Foundry and building products on top of these new Web3 protocols. We obviously experienced a lot of the issues firsthand and wanted to kind of focus on that area and making it easier and more accessible for people to like access and utilize and take advantage of Web3 and the benefits of the technologies, um, but in an, an, in an abstracted and easy to use way. And so because we had come kind of exclusively from like the Ethereum ecosystem, our initial focus was, was on Ethereum. Um, but we, you know, definitely took a year or so to really um, try a bunch of different stuff and really figure out where we wanted to focus and where we thought there was opportunity and also how we saw the Web3 space sort of uh, playing out. And so that's kind of when we, uh, you know, everyone throws around the word DAP and we kind of just like uh, last fall really started to think about like, what is a DAP? What constitutes a DAP? Um, is that the right way to think about a DAP? Is what, you know, 
how people think about DApps is going to change over time. Um, and so really, you know, uh, where it started was we just started to think about a lot of the, the applications we use today, whether it's, you know, Zoom or Gmail or Twitter or any news or blog you read or any social platform you use, um, or pretty much, uh, you know, probably 90 to 95% of the apps and sites you use, there's not necessarily a clear, like, uh, use case or place where smart contracts would fit into the core product. Like, yes, for identity or authentication or for payments, they make a lot of sense. But, you know, if you were to try to, in your own head, think about, you know, if Twitter or, you know, Gmail or, you know, uh, any blog were to decentralize, like what would it actually entail? And so that's when we got really interested in the distributed web side of things uh, and like the D-Web. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of where we started to shift our focus to, okay, you know, the internet is really at the very core about files and file and data transfer. And so we felt if there really was going to become a Web3 and a distributed web, you know, uh, smart contracts would probably be like the equivalent to like serverless functions, but maybe that's not the best place to start and, and use as the core foundation. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, something like IPFS would be a, a much better core, and then there could be all this, you know, adjacent complementary technology that sort of supplements it to really create a full new web stack that's like makes up what like people talk about as like a distributed web or web three. And so that's how Fleek uh, came to be was through that learning process and failing a bunch, trying different things and uh, finally kind of deciding what we wanted to focus on and, and what the vision was. And so Fleek, uh, um, is we started with our, our IPFS hosting product because we felt that was the easy first best use case uh, to, to work on and there was demand for it already and people were trying to do it, but the experience wasn't that great. So we felt that was a good place to start, but really the uh, kind of fleek is, is a platform to build D-Web apps and sites. So, if you think of like a Netlify or a Firebase or some of those newer developer platforms that um, I kind of see a similar trend to what's happening in like FinTech where you have these new challenger banks that are building like pretty user experiences and user interfaces on top of legacy banking infrastructure. I see like a similar trend playing out in the developer world with like this low code, no code trend where you basically you know, for the average developer, you don't need to know how to use AWS or GCP. It's like a very complicated, you know, you just want to link your GitHub and get access and click a few buttons to, you know, access the different products or services you need and build apps and, and sites in a really easy, fluid, seamless workflow. So that's kind of what we are, are building, but for, for the distributed web, so, you know, instead of building an app on or a site on Netlify or Firebase, the idea is you could build that same app or that same site on Fleek. Um, and as we add more products and features, you would have a, a whole suite similar to the same products you might find on one of those platforms. So we have hosting, we have storage now, soon we'll have databases, you know, authentication, serverless functions. But under the hood, all these things are built on Web3 technologies and protocols. Uh, however, that doesn't exclude Web2 companies from using them. It's just, you know, a new open source technology that offers unique benefits that we feel over time will be super attractive and kind of like uh, an extension of uh, or like a uh, what the Jamstack that Netlify has pioneered with like serverless apps and this and this Jamstack of like, you know, a, a static front end and just JavaScript APIs and markup, we feel that uh, like the D-Web will be the next evolution of like that. And that like is a very good segue into like where we're going and what we're building towards and what we want to enable. So I'll stop there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of 
what Fleek is and and uh, and what the vision is. I I mean I'm blown away by how cool the the, the platform is and how easy it is to use. So like I as soon as I found out about you guys, I, I jumped on and like immediately like published my personal website, which is on GitHub, straight onto IPFS, and it was so seamless. I was just like blown away. Um, and I've built actually I'll share this just quickly because I shared it with uh, some some guys the other night. And um, hang on one second. Sure. So I've built this. This is all through Fleek. I don't know if you can see that. Um, so hosted on IPFS. And it's literally a um, a space. So we're actually building a, a learning space on something called Mozilla Hubs. I don't know if you've looked into this at all. It's like a it's built on A-frames. So A-frames like a basically VR for the web. We've been building like stuff with students for a number of years based on it, um, kind of rudimentary stuff. But Mozilla's kind of taken taken the lead with uh, development with it. So you can literally jump into a space. Whether you have a headset, whether you have um, a HoloLens or just a browser, um, you can move around a space. So this is like my presentation <laughs> that I've just put wow. into, a, oh. into a virtual space. So it's like totally Web3. And I've just like been showing everyone, I'm like, yeah, I built this on IPFS and it's this fleet company is like allowed me to do it yeah. like instantly, um, just embedded. And it's just so, so cool. So I'm blown away by like what you guys have built. But I had a few questions just around the, um, the well, f first off, because we've kind of like gone down this route of being the podcast is obviously the IPFS podcast, but um, we're still agnostic to I suppose like Web three technologies. So like, how do they integrate with with IPFS, and like why um, IPFS over other storage layers? So have you did you guys sort of like research like storage or SEO or MadeSafe or anything before you started pursuing IPFS, and like what sort of led you to go down the route of IPFS? Yeah, um, we definitely still keep updated on the different distributed web protocols um, and, you know, what makes different ones unique. Um, to start, you know, one of our, uh, I'd say, initial thoughts was uh, non-token distributed web technologies if they are going to, you know, become like natively integrated into the web and, and start being used by browsers and like maybe a legitimate replacement as a transport layer, as an alternative to, you know, TCP IP or HTTP, uh, we felt that tokens would complicate things. And so we felt IPFS was a really good starting base in that it's open source. Uh, there's no token involved and they seem to be getting a lot of traction within the Web3 community, but also within the more broad Web2 community with some enterprise use cases. Um, specifically, the Netflix case study was what kind of like really piqued our interest with IPFS. Um, so, you know, part of the challenge we've always had is, and we always think about is like, what actual tangible benefits to these protocols uh, offer that would convince like would besides it just being cool and decentralized or like you know blockchain whatever you know what like what would convince someone in you know three seconds to say okay this would be better is it cost is it security is it performance you know what is it uh, and so that Netflix case study was the first time that we were able to see like a large enterprise quantify that like we have every single technology at our disposal and IPFS was the solution we found to increase performance for container distribution. And so we spent a lot of time looking into how they achieved that, like what it was specifically that enabled them to achieve that and really focus on how do we kind of now Take, like, take those benefits and apply them to other products and, and use cases on the web. And so I'd say kind of as we've seen with Ethereum, like, you know, maybe there's newer protocols for smart contracts that are better, but once you have momentum and a developer community and like you, people have bought in, 
you know, it's very hard to undo that. So we just felt IPFS was a great starting base. And that doesn't mean, because I will, I will say, we, what one thing we are very convinced on is for the distributed web, none of these protocols by themselves, we feel, offer tremendous benefit above and beyond what Web2 like options are available today. Um, where we think there is real magic is in combining the various protocols and the features you can, and like value, like propositions and benefits you can unlock by combining them. So our core stack is actually IPFS and Textile because Textile is, is really like a critical layer to actually make IPFS usable. It's, you know, basically a database product, but also an encryption product and you know, enables kind of a lot of the things that you, when you first hear of IPFS, you think are possible. Textile is kind of the, the complementary piece uh, sitting on top that makes it actually all possible. And then with Filecoin, that sort of is, is like our core stack of three, but it doesn't mean in the future we can't also add, you know, protocols like Arweave or, you know, other storage layer options underneath in addition to Filecoin uh, as kind of like the, uh, you know, incentive layer to store data for the distributed web. But given Filecoin is, is so natively integrated with IPFS it, and timing wise, it just made sense to start there. Um, but yeah, we feel that that combination really is what gives us the low hanging fruit ability like to go after benefits that are privacy, encryption, and P2P delivery. Um, so those are the main three things that we're focused on to start. Um, how Netflix used IPFS is like very advanced and we feel like it, it's gonna take some time for the technology to really be able to like take advantage of that at scale, um, unless you wanna do it privately like how they did it. Um, so performance is kind of like we do think in the future using IPFS as like a P2P data transport layer could be very valuable, especially to, you know, companies like a YouTube or a Fortnite that are delivering like huge amounts of, of data uh, and content to their users and they're serving all of those requests. We do think like app specific user delivery networks will become a thing. Um, However, to start, we felt that uh, the privacy encryption and, and sort of P2P benefits we get of combining IPFS and Textile and, and adding Filecoin uh, can create some really cool products and like value propositions for developers, but also to consumers. Um, and so we have a consumer product that's launching next month that uh, basically will highlight the types of products you could build with this new technology stack. Can you expand on that at all? Or are you allowed to yet? Yeah, for sure. So we did like a, we just put out a blog announcing it. We didn't do like a big announcement yet, but just to put it out there to get some beta signups and, and kind of uh, let people know what we were working on. Um, and so it's called Space. Uh, the website is space.storage, but essentially space is kind of like to cloud storage what signal is to messaging. Um, it's just a private encrypted P2P version of a Dropbox or a Google Drive. So it's built completely on the distributed web. So the key, it's a desktop app to start just because um, being able to take advantage of the benefits of these protocols, it doesn't work perfectly in browsers and in mobile apps yet, but it will probably in the next, you know, six to 12 months, uh, probably by the end of the year, um, like in browsers will be possible and then mobile apps is possible. But basically, uh, it's a desktop app to start. And so the key lives on your machine. You get a textile key. Um, 
And you also get an Ethereum key for some of the cool naming stuff we, we were doing. Uh, and then all the files are encrypted by default. You can share them like how you would share files on Google Docs or in Dropbox. Um, but when you share them, it's just between you and who you share them with. Uh, we can never read your data. The product's completely open source. Um, and if you, you could store the files locally on your machine, but if you want to store encrypted backups of your files, we will offer two options. You could store them on like our remote IPFS nodes, or you could self host it and set up your own remote sort of like space nodes, which are like a combination of IPFS textile nodes, uh, and PowerGate, which is a file coin, uh, sort of interface. Uh, and the different sort of underlying protocols we use to create what we call like our D-Web stack. Um, or you could also back them up to Filecoin. And so this is kind of like what like we built using Fleek to show that like these are the type of apps, like user-owned data, you know, portable, you're not locked in, everything's encrypted, private, no one can spy on you, you know, and it's kind of like we feel a, a very good use case of the, the distributed web uh, to start. Uh, we think the use case is feasible before we try to, you know, go into like Cloudflare's territory of, you know, trying to deliver content faster than them. Uh, we just felt like that was a battle we didn't want to fight <laughs> right now. Dude, uh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys and, are killing it. Yeah, and so as part of space, we open source also what we call the space daemon, which is like the back end of what we use to build space. And so that's open source. Anyone could use that to build apps. We have like 10 apps building distributed web apps on the space daemon already. And so that was kind of the point was like, we wanted to, A, we thought it was a cool product that we could, you know, build a business around and, and monetize and, and fund other, you know, products and, and continue to develop out Fleek as the developer platform to build these D web apps, you know, on the space daemon or in a browser or wherever you want, or integrate, you know, these privacy, you know, P2P uh, encryption type, you know, serverless auth type features into existing products. Um, but uh, yeah, we felt it's, it's hard to like convince someone to build these things. Uh, if you're just telling them like, oh, you know, this is what you could do. We're like, if we just build it ourselves, show people, then hopefully that will spur some, some, some people to wake up and, and, and kind of like DeFi. It's like, you know, you saw the the first one or two, and then pe people realized, okay, this is a thing, and then everyone, you know, gets excited. So we're hoping we spur some sort of D-Web, you know, revolution with, with this first product that gets other people to, to, the light bulb to go off for them to say, okay, you know, all these products may be, you know, uncensorable, you know, private by default, you know, uh, all the you know issues with the current web that we're seeing with you know all these platforms becoming censored, all these you know stories coming out about these tech companies selling your data to the police, them spying on you through Alexa and all these things. You know we're hoping, yeah. This episode of the IPFS podcast is sponsored by Mount Gox Hiking Tours. Mount Gox, as our listeners would know, is Japan's second most famous mountain and has recently become the go-to place for sightseeing after Mount Fuji closed because of too many tourists. It's a quiet and calm place with minimal human activity and if you are running at the front of the pack, it offers quite spectacular views. Since 2010, Mount Gox hiking tours have been taking customers to the summit and back down again and have all expenses paid add-ons like flights, accommodation included. They are even tax deductible. Two options are available for payment, including Bitcoin and US dollars. And you can learn more by going to macgox.com forward slash hiking. There's also a link in the show notes. And so you kind of answered a bunch of my questions already. Um, <laughs> but how, 
So like we 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 run a full uh, a number of full IPFS nodes here. Um, we've built IPFS clusters. Um, the kids do all sorts of cool um, web dev stuff as well. So web three dev obviously with A frame and um, we use GitHub. Um, we're in lockdown now, so we've got no kids at school, so we haven't been really doing much in. And it's a it's a primary school, Harrison. So yeah, just keep that in mind. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, I'm immediately going to get all the kids onto Fleek and like getting their stuff off GitHub onto that as soon as they're back. Um, but how do you see um, these technologies, in particular IPFS and and Fleek as a platform, um, influencing education or even um, having some sort of paradigm shift in education, like from your perspective? In terms of just education in general, not like developer education. So I do think that um, given this whole pandemic and the shift to remote learning or working, um, I don't exactly know how it's going to play out, but there's got to be some sort of paradigm shift in terms of college education and just how people learn. Um, and I think, you know, you're just seeing it with uh, content creators and the content people want to watch is, is less and less coming from large institutions that, you know, are legacy media or universities. Because uh, I think people are becoming more and more wary of, you know, is this information they're feeding me you know, factually accurate, or is it, you know, because of some sort of agenda that's being pushed? So I do think, you know, uh, money-wise, just access-wise, and like all sorts of different factors, you know, with technologies like IPFS that um, could become like a backbone to a, a distributed web that's kind of accessible by anyone. You can't censor it, you know, if you have something like space on your machine, so the nodes actually live on your machine, um, then no one can stop you from accessing content, especially, you know, as the rest of the stack plays out. So you have, you know, blockchain-based domain naming systems. Uh, so you can, you know, have, you know, website URLs or things that look like website URLs that link to content or apps. Um, so that's basically where we see like a real renaissance happening is with the stack we've built, um, this like distributed web stack, you know, with, with Netlify and the jam stack, like the trend in web development has been like, all right, let's put everything in these big data centers in random locations around the world. Then it's been, you know, let's put this stuff on the edge because we want to be closer to users. So let's put content on the edge and use a CDN. And then what Netlify kind of pioneered was like, let's not just put the content on the on a CDN, let's create an application delivery network and put the entire application on the edge. So this way it's, it's super close to the user and it's super fast and performant. And so now what, what, like what we are seeing is like, there's things like Definity launching where like the entire application lives on, on basically their Definity network or with like what we're building, it's kind of the entire application can live on a user's machine because, you know, you have a, you either have all the files and, and different components that make up the app fully on the user's machine or anything you don't have they have the nodes on their machine that they could pull it directly from the protocols or the network and they don't need permission or any middleman censoring them. So once that happens and you do kind of have like, you know, maybe it's like an adjacent internet, maybe it bleeds with the normal browsers and internet um, where now people could access whatever content they want. It can't be censored. You know, they could, uh, they can kind of choose where to get information from, what to learn. We do feel that these technologies will probably accelerate that trend of now people being free to discover and, and read and access the content they choose. Uh, and, you know, especially with, you know, I think like the OnlyFans, every, every good technology I think starts in porn that's been proven or that, at least that's been a trend for a while. Something illegal, let's say. 
I think that there was more than porn that was getting sold on Silk Road type of thing. Yeah, but now OnlyFans is becoming like mainstream. And you're seeing all sorts of people create OnlyFans accounts and, you know, make serious money for, you know, monetizing their fan base, basically. And so I do see that trend moving more into non, you know, pornographic use cases where, you know, you're just, it's, it's only students or only, you know, and, and you could be, you could put out whatever sort of content you want, uh, whether it's, you know, someone like Joe Rogan, just having, you know, a paid kind of premium version of his own show with special content or exclusive content. Does he have that? He doesn't have it yet, but you know, I wouldn't, I, there's, there's smart people in the podcasting space who think He's got like a hundred million dollars to employ smart people to figure it out now. Yeah. Yeah. The people think that after this three year Spotify deal, you know, eventually it would make a lot of sense, both from a monetization standpoint, but also, you know, one of his biggest critiques of being on YouTube was they censored everything he did. So for a lot of reasons, you know, him having an, an OnlyFans equivalent, but just for his podcast, you know, he can make more money and he could do whatever he wants and people could have direct access to it. Um, and so I do think that for education on different topics, you know, that sort of trend, I mean, Patreon just got valued at a billion dollars, like that sort of trend, I, I think these technologies will just accelerate it tremendously. And so Harrison, what is, um, what is the fleet business model? I'm really fascinated by Web3 business models because, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Sometimes people build a, a Web3 product, but they have kind of a Web2 business model or otherwise people build a Web3 product with like a very Web3 um, business model. And it's, it's kind of, it's difficult to wrap your head around um, sometimes. So what do you, how do you guys think about that? I think about it a lot. It consumes a lot of my time. Um, we still are not 100% set on if we want to have a Web2 business model or potentially try to tokenize in the future. Um, but we think that we can start with a Web2 business model and then learn from usage and, and kind of how the distributed web stack plays out <clears throat> to then decide if we want to decentralize in the, uh, any aspect in the future. And so to start, our business model is essentially charging for backup encrypted storage. And so either it's it because in order for things to work and work well, you know, if, if I was trying to share a file with you, but I was offline and that file only lived on my machine, then you can't get the file because I can't deliver it to you until I'm back online. Or also if I lost my machine, if it wasn't backed up anywhere, I'm gonna lose that those files or that data. So similar to the value proposition of cloud storage, you know, you're probably gonna to wanna to store your files somewhere and instead of in the cloud, now you could store them in space. So like web two is cloud, web three is space, space is above the clouds, so it just made a lot of sense from, yeah. Um, and so if you want to store your files in space, you could store them on our remote space infrastructure. Uh, and we charge you just a monthly fee, very similar to Dropbox, you know, $10, $12 a month. Uh, and you get a certain amount of storage. And then there could be like, you know, you pay, you know, 10 cents a gigabyte or lower based on if you're storing more up to, you know, enterprise pricing plans, same as Dropbox. But you could also decide to store it on Filecoin. And similarly there, it, we would just still charge you a monthly fee and we would abstract the Filecoin deals and payments and you being re required to do it. You could pay with crypto using space. So if you wanted to facilitate the Filecoin stuff yourself, you can. We will allow you to do that in the future. We just got to build some UI eventually. But in the meantime, and probably for the majority of consumers, you might just be comfortable knowing, you know, we'll give you all the receipts, we'll give you everything. So if you ever want to leave and get the data elsewhere, 
even though space is open source, it's on your desktop, we couldn't really do anything and it wouldn't matter if we went down anyways. But um, we'll facilitate the storage on Filecoin and for the foreseeable future, we actually think that'll be a better, more profitable option for us as a company. And we might even use Filecoin under the hood for our own storage infrastructure because they have close to 100 petabytes of data on their test net right now. And they're going to have a ton of storage capacity because that to get the mining rewards, that storage has to be dedicated to the network and no, and not many people using it at first. So there's a lot of, we think, interesting ways we can, uh, you know, get cheaper storage, even long-term on Filecoin to provide that backup role. And then for abstracting it and providing you with a service, we just mark it up same way as if, you know, we were running the nodes on AWS and backup, storing the backups there. Um, so yeah, that's our business model for now. I mean, that would make sense, especially when you reach um, more broad adoption, right? Because initially developers, they like tinker with things that can kind of build this, like you say, once you build the, um, uh, the endpoints, they can kind of do it themselves. But once you get, you know, the mainstream and everybody using space as the new kind of Dropbox type of thing, people will just be like, yeah, this is easy. And, and assume that, you know, if I'm paying for Dropbox, why wouldn't I pay for space type of thing? And it sounds smart to me. It's the same business model for developers too, because if they're using the distributed web, they're still going to need to somehow pin those files on IPFS because that's the thing. You can't really just use IPF. You can't really just use Filecoin by itself, especially as an app or for many use cases besides like, this is my birth certificate and I want to store it for, you know, make sure it's there for the next hundred, because it, it's more like, gl- well, it's, it's yeah. like glacier yeah. storage. It's super, Something like, static. it's not yeah. performant. So IPFS is kind of like the caching layer for Filecoin. Yeah. <laughs> and so like what we're really doing with space and we work very closely with textile too. So we kind of work together on this is building like a performance layer for the distributed web. So, you know, it ties together your Filecoin usage optionally, your IPFS usage, the files between there, the distributed hash table, the kind of routing and, you know, which nodes have which files, which, you know, peers, uh, like where, where do these files live? Because, you know, you want to make sure that you don't use the distributed hash table as one of the things we're working on because that doesn't scale very well. And if you have to go through the network to actually find a file, it takes forever, you know, it depends who you're peered with and who they're peered with. And, you know, it's just, so basically what we build is a layer on top that knows every node, every textile node, every IPFS node, and who has the files. And so this way we could go directly to the closest node geographically and get the file. And so that's where it might be served by a user. It might be served by our remote backup infrastructure. It's really just like, it starts to blend like what, like Netlify's application delivery network with now like a user delivery network. So your users can become like kind of part of your delivery network, at least for space. But this is where we're trying to prove concept because we think that could then be utilized. Those same principles, if we could prove like, hey, by using this technology stack, instead of Dropbox having to serve every single file to every single user when a file is shared, we could actually reduce bandwidth costs tremendously because we could have users delivering the files, not just us. And so if we could prove that, then the idea is, okay, how do we productize this and allow other apps, web apps, native apps, to take advantage of this P2P transport layer So now if you're a video game, you know, maybe instead of Fortnite delivering it to all 5 million users, they're delivering it to a million. And then the other 4 million, you know, are just these sharded IPFS files living on all users' machines. And they're also delivering it to all the rest of the users. And now you just cut your, your, your bandwidth costs, you know, in half or more. Isn't that, that sounds like the retrieval miners, right? Rather than the storage miners on the IPFS. So are you talking about another level on top of that of retrieval miners, or are you actually talking about the retrieval miners in the IPFS? It might be retrieval miners. 
But, you know, if you're, so it depends. Like, you know, in the use case of, of like Fortnite um, or like uh, a YouTube, you know, their, their issue isn't so much about data storage because data storage is cheap. Their is really about like data transport and like how can I cut these costs dramatically. And so if you're using retrieval miners, you're still paying someone. You're paying the Filecoin network. If you put an IPFS node in your, in your app on your user's machine, now you have a free delivery network. Your users don't even know. It's like your own personal app-specific app BitTorrent. And so that's where we think, we think that Netflix uh, did this container distribution proof of concept but really, I think what they were interested in is, can we figure out how to actually just deliver videos on Netflix using these principles? That's what I was going to say to our listeners. Before you think that, you know, Netflix is, is streaming, <laughs> are going to use um, IPFS or is using IPFS, that was a very specific use case, right? So it wasn't actually, it was their intro and obviously it was, but I remember the first time I heard about it, I was like, what? That sounds yeah. crazy. But, but then it's, no, it's not for streaming all of the videos. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, with Docker Hub, you know, you're pulling these images from one point, like one place, full file at a time. And what IPFS kind of enabled them to do was just shard the file. Like something crazy, like 80% of container Docker images are like uh, the same. So, you know, when you shard the file, now you could deduplicate, you know, all the, the replicated code amongst images and split those shards amongst different IPFS nodes. And now you can parallelize requests uh, and, you know, grab these chunks of the file in much smaller pieces all at the same time. So, yeah, it makes sense how they uh, made that use case work for container distribution and at their scale, you know, for container distribution, it, it, it definitely probably makes an impact because they said they had like 3 million, con, you know, images they're fetching a week. But yes, I think they are extremely smart and I don't think they, you know, had these super high paid engineers do this just to figure out how they could speed up container distribution. I think this was like a okay, this is a really easy way to figure out if we... A little toe in the water, yeah. Exactly. So, um, and so that's where I think, you know, you, you could really make an impact with IPFS. But yes, in different use cases, retrieval miners might play that role. But in, you know, Netflix's use case, their, their goal, I think, long term would be if we could embed, you know, we're embedding an IPFS node and a textile node and everything you need in the user's machine with this space desktop app. That's the space daemon. So anyone who wants to build a, a native app, they could use the daemon, all of that stuff is packaged in it. And then now you can access it all and the user has it on their machine, they don't even know about it. However, we are gonna create a browser version of it and a mobile version of it. And so the idea would be, you know, you could stick this in the front end of your website eventually, especially as browsers add native support for IPFS. Now you don't even have to put in your front end code. You could just use the browser IPFS node. And now you could create these like app or site specific user delivery networks. So, you know, if we're all, you know, reading Coindesk or something and, you know, maybe Coindesk serves the file to me, but maybe I serve it to someone else, you know, nearby and, and you could see at scale and at network effects and, you know, uh, you know, there, you could really get some performance improvements, but really on the cost side, you could probably, you know, if you start offloading more requests to users, we think you could really save on bandwidth. And we think that is where the web is heading and the role IPFS could play. But yeah, like I said, it's not the easiest use case and some some progress has to be made on the technology to really make that a reality. But I definitely think in the next three to five years that that will happen and that will be common. But in the meantime, we think 
The privacy encryption P2P benefits are easier to go after, showcase some of the unique benefits of these technologies, and actually let us build the, the groundwork to make that longer case of the, like, you know, the bandwidth reduction, prove it out and make it work. And so, yeah, so that's kind of, we're learning as we're going. So <laughs> we might, uh, we might find other uses that are better or more near term, but, um, that's what we've come up with so far. <laughs> Very cool. Um, well, I'd like to finish unless we have other stuff we want to go into, but I've, I've got to go in a second. Um, I think the bell's about to go, so <laughs> just to give you a warning. It's just above my head as well, so it's going to be quite loud. Um, just how, um, uh, we've asked the other guests, like how, um, one, how you found out about IPFS in the first place, um, and two, uh, what is your favorite um, technology that's not on IPFS? So I found out about it, uh, I would say back when I found out about Ethereum. Um, I think, you know, early on when I was at Consensus and Infura was, you know, kind of the only game in town in terms of access to Ethereum, they added IPFS pretty early on. Um, yeah, and there were some early, you know, Ethereum projects that were using IPFS. So I think that's kind of when I first heard about it, but, you know, I think part of what uh, like IPFS, uh, why it didn't get enough attention these past few years or not as much as Ethereum is it didn't have a token people could speculate on and made a lot of money from. So I just think all the attention went to Ethereum, even though they kind of both launched at the, around the same time and their potential impacts on the web and the world could, could be, you know, it's not, both could have an enormous impact, but you know, because of the speculative and, and piece of, on Ethereum, it got, yeah, all, all the eyeballs and a lot of the developers. And, um, but IPFS, you know, quietly has, has built a really good community these past few years. And now with Filecoin, that's going to bring a lot of eyeballs to the distributed web space. I mean, they just had 800 developers, I think, in the HackFS hackathon. They're doing this Apollo Gitcoin one now. They have the Tachyon Filecoin Accelerator next. So their protocol labs is making very good moves to make sure that they get the attention uh, and, and build the community similar to how Ethereum did. Um, so I think, you know, that if they could build that moat in terms of mindshare and like developer wise, they're going to be just fine. And they're also tying themselves in pretty closely to the Ethereum community. Uh, to be, you know, to enable... It's a lot of collaboration. Yeah. So I would say my, my favorite non-IPFS technology is still Ethereum. Um, I just think, you know, what we're witnessing right now is insane uh, with this DeFi madness. And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to just witness and, and be a part of it and just kind of understand that this is probably a new financial system being created right before our eyes. Um, it's happening really quickly. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's so exciting. Um, I, I, it's definitely, I can't think of anything else, uh, that, uh, excites me as much. You made yeah. a good point though. The, um, launching at the same time, IPFS and, and Ethereum are around the same time. Um, being under the radar, eh, there we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> the being under the radar, I think, has been beneficial. To be honest, like you look at all the like negative stuff around Ethereum and like Vitalik getting hammered, and like it's it's quite negative. Like if if they had that runway, like to just build instead of getting hammered with stuff like IPFS has had, I think it's it's a good thing. Like I mean. <laughs> in the Bitcoin yeah. slash blockchain space like since yeah. 2012 so I've seen yeah. it like you know it, like all of the um, the rises and sort of falls and mm -hmm. the best time when stuff is built and the best people you meet is yeah. in, the, in the times when it sort of goes down so I think it's the, mm -hmm. it's a good thing because um, people sort of like when they're money hungry you get like all these weird people coming out of the woodwork just looking at yeah. like, IC, like the whole ICO thing it's just mm -hmm. gross like, like right watching, now 
you have like yeah. right now. So you like fake <laughs> DeFi projects or yeah. um, like it's it's kind of ICO 2.0. Um, but not to say there wasn't good ICOs. So it's like it's good tech, but it just like attracts these creepy people. Yeah, the people I work with call them normies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe it. I might have to leave it there, guys. Thank you so All much, right. Harrison. You rock, and your team rocks. I think you guys are doing some amazing stuff, and I can't wait to use everything that you're building. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you will definitely be Thank probably you. your youngest users. So we're we're like super indoctrinating them from you know the earliest the earliest time in their lives. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's amazing. I mean, I'm super pumped that. You guys are making an IPFS podcast. I think uh, we could use a ton of more exposure and people talking about IPFS and people learning about IPFS and the whole distributed web. Um, so I think uh, what you guys are doing is super cool and hopefully it blows up and, and you know everyone starts uh, understanding what's about to happen because I do think that you know the... What's happening in DeFi, you will see a D-Web renaissance. Maybe it'll happen in six months, maybe it'll happen in 18 months, but there will be some, you know, crazy just explosion in D-Web apps. And I think we're not that far off. So I do think it'll be an exciting 12 to 18 months. Please send us your feedback. Let us know what guests you'd like to interview or if you're doing something creative or interesting on IPFS, we'd love to hear from you and feature you on the show. So get in touch. The podcast is hosted by myself, Jean Baden, and Kieran Nolan and was mixed and produced by Efe Vardale. The music featured is a track called Zero Equals Infinity by Van Seel. See you all next week.